Welcome to the Great Loop Radio podcast, brought to you by America's Great Loop Cruisers Association. We're dedicated to sharing Great Loop information and inspiration with those actively cruising, planning for, or dreaming about a Great Loop adventure. I'm Kim Russo. I'm the director of AGLCA. Today, we are going to continue our series where we've kind of been updating you on the boat buying process with things like how to find the boat, um, what boats are popular, and financing. And today, we're going to kind of put the finishing touches on that discussion. I've got John Horton with Jack Martin and Associates joining me today. He's a long-term AGLCA sponsor and somebody that I've learned a whole lot about marine insurance from. So before we bring John into the discussion, I just want to recognize and thank our Admiral sponsors, as I do every week. They are Curtis Stokes and Associates, Great Loop Yacht Sales, Passage Maker Trawler Fest, Skipper Bob Publications, and Waterway Guide Media. As always, we encourage our listeners and viewers to support these businesses that support the Great Loop. And speaking of AGLCA sponsors, John Horton with Jack Martin and Associates is with me. Uh, John, thanks for your long-term support. Let's go ahead, for those who perhaps have not met you before or have not seen you at one of our events, go ahead and kind of introduce yourself and uh, tell us how you ended up in marine insurance. Great. Kim, thanks for having me, first of all. Um, always a pleasure to see you and to be with you guys. You as well. Um, we have, uh, I guess, my, my journey into yacht insurance started as a kid. My family owns um, All Red Marina on Lake Gunnersville in Alabama. Um, worked there as a kid from everything from the janitor all the way up to the guy dri driving the travel lift uh, to the guy diving on wreck boats. I mean, I've, I've done it all on that end. Um, met my wife, who's from Annapolis, Maryland, um, 22 years ago. And uh, so for 20 years, I've been working with Jack Martin and Associates up here in Annapolis. Um, I'm now the sales manager of the yacht division. So we we sell yacht insurance to boats all over the world. Um, our company's been around since 1929. And uh, all we do is boat and yacht insurance. So it's uh, it's quite an interesting perspective. I, I hope that I bring to the table where, you know, I've, I've worked as in a service yard at a marina where I was trying to get money out of insurance companies. And now I'm working on the insurance side saying, Hey, you <laughs> probably shouldn't pay for that claim. You know? So it's a, it's a, it, it's a fun, fun industry and something I'm definitely passionate about. Yeah. And there's definitely a lot to be learned when you talk to a marine insurance specialist like John. Um, it's not quite the same as your auto policy or your homeowner's policy or anything like that. And we're going to talk a little bit about the differences today, but uh, for the past few years, insurance has really been, you know, kind of the X factor for people who are looking to buy a boat for the Great Loop because it's been a challenging market to get insured. Something loopers are not typically familiar with. It's not like insurance on your car where you want insurance and you get insurance. Um, you know, you are not automatically insurable as a boater. So um, just to start off, give us the headline of what you're expecting, John, for 2024. Is that going to continue or will we start to see some relief? Well, I can tell you, first of all, every company I have has raised their premiums, which is, I know, not what people want to hear, but we write with 18 companies, all 18's premiums are higher uh, this year than they were last year. Um, not as bit, not as dramatic of an increase of year to year like it was last year, but it's still up a little bit. Um, I am seeing a little bit of relaxation on acceptance. Um, these guys are getting a little more creative where they will accept someone with maybe not quite as much ownership, but may require some captain training. Um, and then there's a, you know, really hard focus right now on your cruising plans. They, these insurance companies want to make sure that they are rating you as a, they, they call you a risk. So rating the customer as a risk to them 
on what are your cruising plans for this year? Are you going to be a Chesapeake Bay only boat? Uh, do you want the whole great loop navigation, but you're never going to leave uh, North Carolina? You know, what's what's the risk to them? And they're, they're trying to harden those cruising plans out a little more than than I've seen in the past. So that's a, I guess that's kind of a state of the market right now. And, uh, you know, I think everyone's gyrating around a little bit just to try to get themselves profitable. Yeah. You know, it's so much that you you said there is, is pertinent to loopers and of interest to loopers. Um, the great loop navigation is, you know, I, I kind of think a big part of it. And, and I've had members suggest that, you know, perhaps we could commission a study that shows that loopers are careful and good with their boats. And while they may be, you know, from a risk perspective, loopers are more actively boating than just about any other category of boaters. And I think that's where, you know, you most loopers who have, you know, kind of done the right things throughout their life and built their credit and are not used to being considered an insurance risk. So it comes right. as a surprise. Um, yes. You mentioned the ownership issue, and that's kind of been the key word for several years that um, a lot of these insurers were looking for previous ownership experience. So you kind of mentioned some were easing up. Um, you know, tell us a little bit more about that. How much advantage is it to having previously owned a boat? I mean, definitely your previous ownership is the golden key for insurance right now. Uh, these companies are not wanting to see anyone that has more than a 10 foot jump in size. Um, some companies will do 15 feet, but what I am seeing is the ones that are, you know, kind of relaxing their, uh, their requirements a little bit. They'll say, okay, we want to see 20, 30 hours training with a captain and, for year one, we want you to stay in local waters. So while they are allowing you to get insurance, they're not going to allow you to do the great loop year one. You know, maybe something where you need to get some legs on the boat, get some hours on the boat. And then, uh, you know, at year two, that's when these companies are going to come to the table and extend that navigation out for you, um, you know, to do some greater cruising. But, you know, we still have one or two companies that, that have, you know, been players in this market for a while that are um, you know, much more relaxed on their requirements, but their premiums might be a little bit higher. So that right. those are still some options in there. Right. Uh, and that's interesting with the ownership experience because, um, you know, in the last few years, we have been seeing less flexibility in, you know, maybe local navigation for the first year. We as AGLCA would, would kind of suggest that as well, that you don't get your boat and head off right on the loop, you know, take a year, get used to the boat and how it handles, get used to the systems, all of that. So it sounds like the insurance companies are agreeing there. But um, we were seeing a lot of people getting what, what you know, the, were kind of being called step up boats, where if they wanted a 40 foot boat for the Great Loop, and they hadn't owned something before or had only owned a 20 foot bow rider, um, they were getting something in the 30 foot range. Do you see that as a trend that might have to continue? Because that's certainly something that caught some loopers by surprise and meant they had to plan a little bit more in advance than they thought since they were kind of getting an intermediary boat before stepping up to their, their great loop boat. Yeah, that's, um, you know, that's definitely the preferred path by all the companies out there. They want to see that step up approach and, uh, you know, not only just the ownership of the step up approach, but okay. Now you own a 25 foot boat and you're jumping to a 35 foot boat. Have you cruised the boat anywhere? They want to see some weekend trips. They want to, you know, see that oh, we took a trip up to Atlantic City from the Chesapeake Bay. Um, you know, not just that you've owned the boat. They want to see, before they extend that loop navigation out there, they want to see some extended navigation. Um, and, you know, a captain's log is your best friend. That's what I tell, you know, anyone, keep a good captain's log. If you take the boat out and go watch fireworks, write it in your captain's log. Mm -hmm. This date, this is what we did. And it's, um, 
it, it makes my job a lot easier when I'm approaching the underwriters and, and trying to sell you as a, a, a good customer for them that they want to want on their books. Right. Well, and it sounds like if finally some some common sense is being applied to this because for a year or two, it was just flat out just needed that ownership and it didn't seem to matter too much if you bought, you know, a 35 foot and, and sat it in your yard and it didn't move for two years, as long as you showed ownership, you could do that step up. So I'm, I'm actually glad to hear that some logic is being applied to that. Um, you know, and it is nice to start to see that experience does matter again. And as you well know, a few years ago, kind of before COVID, um, sometimes if you were lacking that experience, you would have to have a captain for X amount of time. So people who haven't updated their knowledge of the insurance industry in a while are still thinking that's the case. But it sounds like from what you're saying, that is starting to come back into favor where you can get signed off on by a captain. It, it most definitely is. Now, uh, if you're going to keep the boat full-time in the state of Florida, we may have a little harder time. Um, but, you know, pretty much anywhere else on the loop, as long as you're north of Florida, we, we can definitely get that that option for you. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, one of the first things I think happens when people are starting, you know, they have found the boat they want, and then they go to look for insurance and are finding, wait a minute, there's a problem here. And one of the first places they turn is to social media. Um, and I see so much outdated information there because things have been changing in this space so rapidly. So, you know, we talked a little bit about the idea that a captain may again be able to sign off on your skill sets after a certain amount of time and a requirement. Um, the question always comes up too, you know, if I get a captain's license of my own, you know, if I can qualify and have the hours and can pass the test, will that help with my insurance? You know, do you see anything in that regard? Would it behoove people from an insurance standpoint if they have the qualifications to go ahead and get that license? Yeah, it's, you know, kind of where the captain's license comes in. Uh, again, ownership's your golden key in the door. Mm -hmm. um, if you have a captain's license and let's say you, you've run charter boats for 50 years, yeah, you're, you're going to be golden. You know, even if you didn't own it, if you've got that, we should be able to get insurance for you. Mm -hmm. um, if you're a novice boater that's never owned a boat and you go out and get a captain's license, that's going to help you premium wise, but we've still got to find a company that's willing to insure your boat since you've never owned a boat before and you're trying to get into a 45 footer or whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. um, so the way the insurance works with most companies, you have what they call an educational credit. That credit is based off of your prior ownership, courses taken, um, licenses achieved, as well as your prior claims experience. So there's a maximum discount, let's say of 20% that can be applied to your account. So if you've owned boats for 40 years, you've got a, cap, a, a bunch of boating courses, you may be maxed out at 20%. And if you go out and get a captain's license, it's not gonna save you a dime. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so there's, it, 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 it'll vary a little bit by company, but would I suggest getting a captain's license? I'm, I'm, I think the educational part of it is is terrific. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, you've got to get a bunch of hours for you can achieve the license. I, I do think there's a little bit of liability associated with a captain's license as well. Mm -hmm. um, whereas, you know, they, they need to know a little more than the, the regular boater is. And if you have to, uh, God forbid, be in a court case and you're a licensed captain, they, they may hold you a, a little more onus on you because you are mm -hmm. a licensed captain. You should have known better than to do that. Right. So I know in the past few years, some of the insurance companies have been, you know, kind of putting parameters about, you know, they won't insure a boat older than X or they won't insure, insure a boat that's 
uh, more than X feet, if the price is X, you know, all these different variables. And I know it varies by company, but, you know, for some of the popular companies or some of the looper type boats, which, you know, average 40 feet, what are some of the those parameters that you're seeing insurance companies looking for? One of our big companies we've been riding with for quite a while just started doing where they will not ride a boat like past the year 2000. I have another one that will not ride boats over 30 years of age. Um, and these are all kind of newer things. Um, in the past, they would all just say, as long as you have a good survey, the boat surveys well, and, you know, we're, we're good with it. Um, and I still have, you know, the majority of the companies still do it that way. But there are two pretty good sized companies out there that have recently just started saying, hey, we're going to place age parameters. We're, we're just not even going to insure it if it's older than a certain age. So what's a looper to do then if they are boat shopping and, you know, most of the boats in their sweet spot on what they're looking for from style to um, price to length of boat falls in, you know, something that's maybe late 1990s or, or very early 2000s. If they think that they will might have an issue with that age parameter. Um, does that mean they can't get insurance or are there other companies you can go to and their premiums just might be higher? There's most definitely other companies and their premiums aren't even necessarily higher. Um, mm -hmm. It's just, there's not as many companies willing to, to you know, provide terms for about that age right now. Mm -hmm. um, there, there's two more that just dropped out. I've, I've still probably got 10 that will um, but, you know, instead of having 12 now, I'm, now I'm down to 10 that, that want the older boats. It's just uh, all these guys, again, are kind of tweaking things on their end, things they can control underwriting wise to try to make their books more profitable. Um, right. And they're also trying not to raise premiums. You know, they don't want to do it by raising premiums. They want to do it by, you know, controlling the variables that, that could, um, you know, affect the claims. Right. So, John, um, you know, perhaps an opportunity for a little bit of a sales pitch for you, but if someone is seeking insurance and they are going to go to you or another insurance agent, um, you know, you're talking about these 13 or 14 different companies that can write um, these policies for you. So talk about what people should be looking for in a marine insurance agent that can go shop them, their qualifications and their needs for the right insurer. Yeah, I would say, you know, one, you want to look for someone who who does nothing but boat and yacht insurance. Um, I think that's really important. You don't want me doing your home or auto because I, I just just don't know it. And marine insurance is very, uh, you know, it's very intricate. There's a lot to it and everything changes year to year, it seems like. So you really got to keep a good pulse on it. Um, also, one that represents more than one company because you don't want to be hooked to a company. You want to be hooked to your boat. Um, so what we can do, you know, we can provide terms that say, Hey, you're a Chesapeake Bay boat, but you want to take the boat to Atlantic city this weekend. Um, we can add a trip rider on there. We can do it all on the fly for you, or we can find another company. If you decide you want to go to the Caribbean, we probably have a company that can do that. So I think representing more companies and then also just having someone who's been doing it a while, that that's a big thing. It, I've been doing it just over 20 years. It, it took me a while just to get, I mean, just to get it all in your head. There's just a lot to it. So John, we kind of talked about um, moving the insurance question up in the boat buying process where, you know, perhaps five years ago, you would find a boat, you'd go to an insurance company, much like buying a car. Now though, we recommend, and uh, this is a question, do you also recommend that people kind of move that up in the process? And if so, how do they approach someone like you to see about their insurability if they don't yet know what boat they're going to be buying? 
Yeah, no, I definitely, I missed those days five or six years ago where the, the insurance guy was your last call. That, that was the good old days. Um, but yeah, nowadays I, I would highly suggest getting a quote before you make an offer on a boat. You know, if you find a 45 foot car that you're just in love with and you want to buy the boat, um, let's make sure you can get insurance before you jump on a plane and fly down to take a look at it or, you know, before you get it surveyed or before you make an offer and you're hung in a contract and, uh, you can't get it insured, but you still got to buy the boat. Uh, so I, I would highly suggest the further out, the better from an insurance perspective. And we can always tweak the quote with a different boat. If you find a different boat, it's uh, it's more work on my end, but I also look at it as like my industry is the reason it's more work on my end. Um, you know, it's not the fault of anyone, but the insurance people at this point. Right. So if somebody is thinking they're going to be looking for a 45 foot carver and in the end ends up with a 45 foot Meridian, for example, um, that's something that you can probably help them swap out when they actually Absolutely. do have a sales contract. We, we, can, we can narrow it down on the carver, which company is mm -hmm. going to be the best fit. And then once they find their forever boat, they come back and we can just tweak it around with a different boat. And we know where to place it. We've already done all the legwork at that point. It's just substituting boats in and out. Right. So basically kind of like a pre-approval process, like you might do if you were financing the boat. Yeah. Very similar. Very similar. Excellent. That's helpful. Let's go ahead and take a break. And when we come back, I want to jump into a little bit of, you know, some of the things you should look for in a policy and, and kind of what to expect if you do have a claim. So we'll be back in a moment. How unique is the new Portofino restaurant and events in Utica? Let's start with Utica's only waterfront dining. Inside has been beautifully remodeled into a two-level dining experience. Choose upstairs for an open, airy, and inviting atmosphere with a beautiful view of the waterfront. For a quiet, intimate dinner, the downstairs ambience makes it the perfect dining spot. Both levels with the same great food, an exquisite menu prepared by our own executive chef. Reserve your dinner experience at portofinoutica.com. Curtis Stokes & Associates is a yacht brokerage company that specializes in great loop, capable boats. Curtis Stokes is a supporter of AGLCA at the Admiral level. If you're looking to buy or sell a great loop veteran from a trusted and knowledgeable broker, visit the company on the web at curtisstokes.net, email curtisstokes at curtisstokes.net, or call 954-684-0218. We're back on the Great Loop Radio podcast. My guest today is John Horton with Jack Martin and Associates. We are getting updated from John on the marine insurance industry for 2024. John, one of the things that I'm hearing out there kind of frequently from people um, are some companies that may not be unfamiliar to you in, in insurance, uh, some that might be, but kind of new entrance to the marine insurance market. And since it's just such a tough marketplace right now, it seems like a weird time for some companies to just decide to go ahead and jump in. Um, so what's kind of new or different? Um, you know, one I hear a lot is State Farm jumping into the marine insurance um, with some really great rates. But anytime I hear a really phenomenal rate, I worry about what the terms of the policy actually are. And that's not to credit or discredit State Farm. It's just one of the examples that comes to mind. So what are you seeing from some of the new entrants? Are there any terms or conditions or parameters on those policies that we should be looking out for? Yeah, I would say anytime you, you get into a super hard insurance market like we're in right now, um, you're going to see a lot of companies that aren't normally marine insurance companies trying to cherry pick certain boats. You know, maybe it's a brand new, really nice boat and 
they would normally not even consider it, but because there's an option there for something that's, uh, you know, going to get them a home and auto and everything else, they're, they're willing to take the risk. Um, there, we also have a few new companies we're riding with, um, always like you, I'm always really skeptical when I hear the rates were just amazing and the terms were great. And, um, you know, one of the main things I have seen with, um, a, someone had a, brought a policy to me and was showing me the premiums and as a current customer of mine is like, why shouldn't I go with this? And looked on their policy and it was an actual cash value policy instead of an agreed value policy. So what that means is if they had a total loss on their boat, it would be like a car where they go out and say, okay, well today that boat's worth X amount of money and minus depreciation, here's the amount you're going to get. Uh, whereas an agreed value policy, which is what I, I would suggest for anyone out there, they're going to stroke you a check for that agreed value without depreciation, which is uh, the way you want to go. But yeah, there's definitely some new entrants and there always is, you know, once, mm -hmm. once the market gets hard like this, you always have someone dipping their toe in just to see if they can, you know, take a little share of the market. Yeah. You, and you kind of mentioned the difference between a grade value and actual cash value. There's also some differences from my understanding between kind of a traditional boat policy that is meant for, you know, your weekend 20 foot and under, for example, you know, center console versus a true yacht policy. And that's something that um, I often find that when somebody's got a great quote, it tends to be more of a, a, a generic boat type policy versus an actual yacht policy, which is a very fine line, I understand. So kind of tell us what the difference is between the two and why we might want a yacht policy over a boat policy. Yeah, I, I would definitely say the last five to 10 years, that line is just getting blurred between a boat and yacht policy. Um, the, the big difference is a yacht policy is going to automatically cover your tender. Um, yacht policy is going to have coverage for things like marine electronics with lower deductibles. Um, all of your machinery on board, all of that will be covered on a yacht policy. Yacht policies a lot of times have a little more stringent navigation, um, whereas a boat policy, boat policies are written for a boats considered 26 feet and under. So they're written for something you hook to a trailer and you can drive anywhere in the U.S. So their navigation is usually all the United States. Whereas a yacht policy is going to say, we want you to be on the Chesapeake Bay between December 1 and April 1. The boat has to be hauled out of the water or winterized to float, whatever it might be. Um, just a little more restrictive as far as that goes, but also much more broad in the coverages for things like fine arts and uh, you know things you take on and off the boat like personal effects and you know, some of them cover your, your mopeds and your e-bikes. So it's just a, a broader coverage form um, compared to your standard boat policy. But I am seeing some boat policies um, show up in the market that are now offering coverage for, you know, additional broader limits for personal effects and for towing and things like that. So it's mm -hmm. the lines getting a little bit blurry there with some of the companies. But you know, like you said, the yacht policy is a way to go. It's much more all-encompassing um, compared to a boat policy. Well, and what I have, I don't know if this is correct or not, so you can hopefully set me straight, but I have also heard in the past that um, yacht policies offer more extensive liability coverage for things like environmental spill, you know, fuel spills or other environmental things, or if you um, take out some coral reefs or things like that. Is there a difference in that liability coverage in a yacht versus a boat policy? There is, but a lot of the boat policy companies now are throwing that coverage in there as well. So okay. it's, um, yeah, 
Yeah, traditionally there was, you know, the other ones were limited to whatever the liability was in the boat policy. Um, mm -hmm. But now they're they're throwing a whole separate limit for that. You know, some other things that you might get into there, a boat policy may not have as much wreck removal coverage as a yacht policy would. Um, but it's, again, it, it all varies by company. All of them do it a little bit different. Right. And another thing that, um, you know, I always say when somebody says, well, I found this great, my premiums are great. I found this great policy. Another person on the dock always goes, yeah, but what's the claims process like? So any insight on how you might be able to judge the claims process on the front end when you're buying the policy? I know that's really hard because until you put in a claim, you really don't know how that's all going to pan out. So what are your thoughts on in the shopping process? How do you handle the idea that, you know, how hard will it be if I have a claim? Ask you, again, you know, it, it, I think it's advantageous to find a marine insurance agent that deals with a bunch of companies because I, our measuring stick always comes after a, a big event like an Ian, um, you know, where you can see how these companies are responding to the claims and how quick they are. And we're getting phone calls from customers saying, why haven't they called me or my, my claims were great. And, you know, I'd always say that's a good measuring stick. Ask, ask your other boating friends as well. Say, you know, have you ever had a claim? Have you heard about claims? Um, if, if you're, you know, down in Florida anywhere, I'm sure you can don't have to look too far to find someone who's had to deal with an insurance claim. Um, but that, yeah, that would be my suggestion. I, I don't have, you know, really one that's better than others. I, I know some of the companies uh, have paid out more claims than others mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, just because they were willing to write more boats in the storm prone areas. Right. And speaking of storm prone areas in one of the earlier conversations like this we had uh, with one, I think it was an update from maybe two years ago. Um, but I asked you what it was going to take to bring things back to a little bit more of a normal level. And you said it was going to take a, some quiet storm seasons. So we've kind of had a fairly quiet one um, over this past season. Of course, the year before we had Ian, which was hugely uh, damaging and had immense amounts of claims. Um, did 2023's kind of quiet season have any impact at all, do you think, going forward? Or is it going to take several seasons like that before we start to see some relief? I think, you know, even 2022 was really quiet until Ian came along. It was, a, yeah. I remember being at the Looper conference and I was knocking on wood as I was, you know, right, right. As I said, we'd only had, I think like 11 storms at that time before Ian came through. Um, last year was terrific. We need one more year like last year. Just really what you're, you're trying to do is these companies that did pay out all the claims. They're just trying to fill their banks back up so they can pay out claims again. Um, and also trying to get their reinsurance rates down so it's it's easier to lower premiums. That's that that's what you're looking for. Um, if we can get a, a good storm season this year, yeah, that would be really good. And I think you're going to see some more markets approach the table as well. So just to kind of sum up what we've discussed, if you were a looper um, getting ready to do the loop, looking for about a 40 foot boat, um, you know, what are the first steps you would take towards getting everything in line? towards contacting an insurance agent like yourself to to secure some insurance yeah i would i would go you know kind of look online find out what kind of boat i think i want to make an offer on and before i make the offer reach out and let's get an insurance quote in hand um preferably do it you know if you think you're going to insure a boat and start the loop the same day that's going to be pretty hard you know mm -hmm. if, if your mind process is hey i'm going to buy this boat and we're going to keep it on the chesapeake bay or we're going to ride it around Lake Gunnersville for the next year. That That's a good way to think about it. And, and we'll have many more options for you. 
Um, and then at your first renewal, we'll have even more options, more companies coming to the table that will present terms and uh, be much more willing to allow you to do the loop. Um, so I would say just give yourself some time and, and don't be afraid to call and get an insurance quote. Perfect. Thank you, John. Um, excellent information as always. We really appreciate you sharing it with us. Thanks for having me and uh, look forward to seeing you guys here in a couple of weeks. Yeah, we'll be there in Annapolis for the Looper Lifestyle Introductory Seminar. Um, it's March 22nd and 23rd for anyone who's listening and is interested in that. You do not have to be an AGLCA member to attend that one. Registration actually comes with a membership or a membership extension if you're already a member. Um, the first day is a half day. We'll cover how to find and buy a Great Loop boat with several of the sponsors we've had in this series, including John. Uh, and then the second day, we talk a lot about how to plan and get started on your own Great Loop adventure. So yeah, registration is open now at greatloop.org on the events menu. Uh, John Horton with Jack Martin and Associates, thank you again for joining us and uh, thanks for your long-term sponsorship. Hey, thanks for having me. Everybody have a good day. Thanks. And to everyone who's watched or listened this week, we'll be back next week with another episode of the Great Loop Radio podcast. Until then, safe cruising. <laughs>